All right, so today is the finale of my talk about joy. And I've been talking about, come on, give me some more yay yes. Yeah, give it to me. The more you're into it, the more you're going to get out of it. I see some college students who have returned for the summer, and I'm just waiting for you to lean in and go a little bit wild tonight. But um, listen, the more you lean into it, the more, you, the more you're going to get out of it. I believe that God wants to do something in your life tonight. I believe he wants to spark joy in your life tonight. You know, God didn't design you to be miserable. Wait, wait, God didn't design you to be miserable. Can we accept that? Can we understand that God is a good father? And when he created us, he designed that we would live in a state called joy, which is why this word joy is all through the scriptures, not as something that the world can give us, but as something that God has prepared for us, something that God wants for us. It's joy. And every single person on planet Earth is searching for joy, craving for it, actually. And, and that's why we might, need, we might not use that word. But every person wants a reason to get out of bed every day and actually like your life. And when we don't, we instinctively and deeply feel like something is very wrong. And we will be willing to go to great lengths to change things, to, to take great risks, to maybe even make a bunch of really stupid choices that have a high cost. But we'll be willing to do all of that to get to a place where we feel like, I like my life today. That's because we're pursuing joy. And you know why we're pursuing joy? Because we were made for it. We were meant to desire it. We were meant to crave it. But what we've been talking about, this is actually, I think, part 10, which is, I think, the longest series I've ever done. But the, as we've been talking about it, we've been saying that joy isn't something that the world provides to you. And it's not something that comes because your circumstances are going the right way. <clears throat> joy doesn't come because you fall in love or because you make the money. Those things are good, but that's not the source of joy. Because if the girlfriend is your source of joy, when she's having a rough day, you no longer have your source of joy. And then you're shakable, right? And that's not the kind of life you were created for. But yet God wants to produce in us the kind of strength inside of us that results in a life of joy. But, but joy doesn't come because things go right. Joy actually comes when things go wrong. And you learn through the process and development of facing difficulties that there's something greater inside of you than what surrounds you. And that's why we have said all along that joy is a protest because everything in life you know that can will try to live you to get you to live in a state of woundedness and defeat and so we have the choice every day to live in defeat we have the choice every day to live wounded and there are wounds that will come and they will be harsh and they will be severe. But joy isn't produced by the wounds. Joy is when we look into the eyes of our wounds and we say, no, you will not rule my life. I will not live subject to defeat, but I will live according to the purposes and the plan of the heart of a good father that he had in mind when he made me. And so joy is my protest. Joy needs to be violent sometimes to say, I will stand in joy. Joy is a violent protest against the savage wounds begging me to choose defeat. So I'm walking out of here tonight with joy. I'm walking out of here knowing who I am and who I was made to be. And I believe that if you'll lean in tonight, that is also what you will walk out of here with. 
Amen. So good. Um, about two months ago, me and um, my oldest son, Daniil, went on a trip to Phoenix. And we did a hike when we were there. And it was a really like popular area to go hiking. And so we hiked up to like this rock formation and there were, you know, hundreds of people doing it. And so there's like a very clear path. Like, you know, this is something that a lot of people do. And you get to like a certain point in the rock formation where you have this awesome view. And it's, it's beautiful. It's the desert. It's crazy. And that's kind of what everyone did. <clears throat> but me and my son, we realized when we were up on that sort of midpoint of the rock formation where the path led you to, that there was also a whole higher level above you where you could get to the very top of the rock formation. But there was no path and not many people went up there. But we looked up there and we realized that there were a couple people who were up on the top of the rock formation. And so we looked at each other and we're like, we're going to the top. And so I walked out towards the top and realized that the way to get there was gonna need to be climbing a sheer side of the rock. And I'm not, I'm not a climber, right? Is anyone a rock climber? Where's Free Solo at? Yeah. Um, anyone watch that film? It's terrible. It will give you a panic attack. It's wild. Anyway, all right. Um, I need to get back on track. I went, I, <laughs> I went onto the face of the rock and realized that the reason why most people don't go up there is because it's really hard to get up there because it's a sheer, a sheer cliff. And so there wasn't much that I could grab onto with my hands or with my feet. And so I'm out there on the rock sort of hanging on like this. And I'm like, if I let go, I'm gonna die. I'm not sure I can get back to where I came from without dying, so I have to keep going forward, but I'm not sure how I'm gonna get up there. But when I looked up there, I saw that there were other dudes up there. And I'm like, if they're up there, I can get up there. I don't care if I'm 40. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, I had to bend and manipulate my body in some pretty uncomfortable ways. I had to stretch some things out that ain't been stretched for a while. But I kept looking at the top. And as long as I kept looking at the top, I was making progress towards it. Until finally I got to the top and it was awesome. And me and Daniel made it up there. We were with Keith Sander, who's not in the room. He did not make it up there, just FYI. I love you, Keith. <laughs> I love you, Keith. Um, but, here's, but here's the principle in the story, is that if you can keep your eyes on where you're going, you'll have the strength to get there. Paul says this in Romans chapter eight. He says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul's talking to people who are going through it. Life is hard. They are suffering because they are being persecuted and they are being hunted down in order to be killed by the authorities simply because they believed in Jesus. And Paul writes this note of encouragement to them and he says, listen to me. I know that it's hard right now, but as hard as it is, where we're going is gonna make all of this feel like nothing. I consider our present sufferings are worth nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. And so what's the principle? Keep your eyes on the glory that is yet to be revealed. As long as I focus on where I'm going, I have the strength that I need for the journey to get there. But what's the glory that Paul's talking about? The glory isn't, I got the wife. The glory isn't, I got the paycheck. The glory isn't I got the house 
And yes, God wants to bless you in your relationships and your money. Absolutely, he does. But that's not the end of the journey and that's not where the glory is. That's a part of the process, but that's not where the glory is. Do you know what glory Paul was talking about? Guys, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the fact that this world is rough, but this isn't our home. That we are headed somewhere better. We are headed somewhere where there is no weeping. There is no hurt, no pain, no death. We are headed somewhere where there is no anxiety, where there is no cancer, where there is no addiction. We are headed somewhere where God's will is actually done in all ways and everywhere. And that, by the way, is our home. We are not there yet, but I'm headed home. I'm not home, but I'm going home. And so Paul's like, keep your eyes on where you're going, because that's what you were made for. And if you can keep your eyes on that, you'll have the strength you need to get through the journey of life today. Hebrews chapter 12, it uh, gives some encouragement, also written to people who were dealing with a lot of persecution. These guys could be killed any day any moment, simply because they followed Jesus. And so this letter was written to them basically so that they didn't give up on what they believed about who Jesus was. And so in Romans, or sorry, Hebrews 12, verse one, the author of Hebrews, by the way, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of the um, other letters in the New Testament, the author you know, identifies himself. Paul wrote a lot of them. Peter wrote a lot of them. John wrote some of them. And the author of Hebrews didn't identify who they were, so we don't really know. That's just a little bit of Bible trivia. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Leave it there. So what the author's saying is that we are surrounded by a cloud, a great cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? That word witnesses could also be translated martyrs. And you understand who he's talking about because Hebrews 11 is a long list of all of the people who chose to have faith in God even though they hadn't seen the fulfillment of God's promises in this life. And they kept believing anyway. And so Paul says, when you think about the people who came before us, and the ways that they believed God when life was hard, the ways that they kept trusting God when things didn't go their way, and the fact that they kept believing God even though their hopes and dreams were never really realized in this life. He said, we're surrounded by them, and they are watching us, and they're not watching us to yell at us, they're watching us to cheer us on, and to say, listen, we've been where you are, and we are where you're going. And I wanna tell you, it's worth it. Keep going, keep fighting, keep pressing. There's something good in store. I love the idea of a cloud of witnesses because a cloud is something that surrounds you that you can't really feel, but yet it's there. And see, the idea is that you're surrounded all the time by people who've come before you. You might not be able to see them, but man, they see you and they're cheering you on. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so that we can run our race. And, and the idea in the original language here is that every person has a very unique and specific race. That like your race isn't my race, 
but God has designed a specific race for you. And the encouragement is, keep going, keep running. But in order to do that, I've gotta let go of the things that weigh me down, the, the things that hinder me. The, the idea in the original language is that you've got like a burden that you're walking around with. And you know, if I was climbing that rock formation with a 50 pound sack on my back, I probably wouldn't have made it. Right, I might have an extra 50 pound sack here, but I didn't have another one back there. And that made it impossible for me, that would have made it impossible for me to get there. And the idea is that you've gotta offload the baggage that you're carrying. But one commentary that I read about that, that phrase in the Greek is that it implies that the runner of the race has been hit with an arrow and that the tip of that arrow is still inside of them. They're wounded. And the fragments of that wound are still in there. And what we're being told to do is to get the tip of the arrow out of you so that you can heal, so that you can run your race. Don't walk around with the wounds when you have a healer. Life will wound you, but whether or not that wound is a permanent wound is up to you. Because you have a healer in your midst tonight. His name is Jesus. And if you let him into the wounded areas of your heart and in your life, it might take a process, but he will be your healer. And you don't have to run with the limp because you've got a God who can cure the limp. But you've got to decide to heal. I won't be a product of the trauma. I let the trauma develop me into who I was made to be. So throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and um, this also could be translated like the sin that is a trap set for you. In fact, it says this race, you run the race, but a more accurate translation would probably be an obstacle course. And, and it would be one thing if the journey of life was a nice racetrack like some, some people had at their high schools, you know, where it's flat and it's got that really nice cushy stuff. I don't even know what that is. Is it called turf? Is, really? Isn't turf like the fake grass? No, no, what's the, it's like rubbery stuff that you run on. It's also called turf too. That's really confusing. Why not have a different name for it? Anyway, so, but, but this isn't really the race that we run in life. It's not the cushy turf. It is an obstacle course because there are things that we have to handle that we didn't expect coming and there are wounds that we have to get through and there are traps that are set in front of us trying to take us out. And what this, this verse is saying is don't fall into the trap. Now we know that sin isn't just bad behavior. That sin, according to the original language, actually means a distorted sense of self. Hamartia in the Greek. It means I'm not really who I was made to be. And because I don't know who I am, I act in dysfunctional ways. Bad behavior is a result of bad identity. And so what this is saying is know who you are in Jesus so that you don't fall into the trap of doing stupid things that take you out of the race. Know who you are in Jesus. But, but it's interesting to me that sin is plural here. It's talking about a sin, I think. And the one sin that the guy in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, keeps going back to is simply the sin of not believing. The sin of giving up on faith when life gets hard. 
not believing God's promises will be true for you. And I've been around church long enough to know that I can believe God's promises for other people, but I have a hard time believing them for myself. And I think a lot of us are that way. And so the sin of not believing is the greatest sin because it keeps you out of everything God has for you. And you have no chance of being who you were made to be if you don't believe that your author is going to work in you to make you who you were made to be. So it says, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. And I love this part. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because when my eyes are focused on where I'm going, I have the strength to get there. Fixing my eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. There's that word. For the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what that means? When Jesus was bleeding out, suffocating to death on the cross, do you know what kept him up there? Joy. How do you have joy when you're suffering that severely? Well, he had joy because he knew what the cross would accomplish. You know what the joy was? The joy was knowing that you could know him. The joy was knowing that your sins could be washed away so that you could have a relationship with him. The joy was knowing that he could have heaven with you in it. He didn't want heaven without you, so he brought heaven down, the song says. For the joy set before him. You were the joy. You were the joy. And he made it through the cross because he was singing about you. And the author of Hebrews is telling us, let that be your example. There's joy in front of you. There's pain right now, but there's joy in front of you. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. All right, a few truths. I just wanna pull out of these four verses that I just read. Was it four or was it five? I don't know. There's a few truths I'm gonna pull out of it. First truth, there's something better in front of us than anything here with us. Heaven is better than what we're going through right now. And heaven is real and it is waiting for you. And that is your true home. That is where you belong. And it is ahead of you. But because of the way that life works, it is very difficult to keep our eyes on that because we keep our eyes on the things that get our attention every single moment. You know, it's like, I gotta get the kids to school. I gotta get to work on time. I gotta pay my bills, right? I gotta get through whatever I'm getting through. And this is what gets my attention. But the truth is, is that that is a very small blip compared to the eternity that you were created for. And if you could see the challenge today in light of the eternity that you were made for, you would understand that the challenge today doesn't have to rule your life. It doesn't mean you don't have to go through it, but it means that you will go through it. And you will end up where you were meant to be. Second truth, heaven is cheering you on. All of heaven is cheering you on tonight. You know, um, our church was started in 1976. I know. And my two grandfathers were on the board of directors in the early days. My uncle started the church. And my two grandfathers, you know, they are, they're in heaven today. They're not with us. But... Pittsburgh East, which is the, you know, our original building, our original campus. So many Sundays I get up on the stage and I'm so aware of the fact 
the stage that I am standing on was prepared for me by previous generations. And that I'm walking in their promise. And they both died before, they eat, before either of them ever even heard me preach a sermon, ever. But yet, the promise that God gave to them and the faithfulness of their the faithfulness of God in response to their faithfulness to God has created an opportunity for me to walk in what God has called me to be and do. And I am aware that I am not a product of what I have done, but I'm a product of what a lot of other people have done. And that heaven today is cheering me on. My grandfathers are looking at me saying, come on, Jason, I know sometimes it feels hard. I know sometimes you feel like you're gassed and you can't get up there, but keep going because we've seen where this is all gonna end up. And there's one thing that really matters. Get as many people here as you can. Now, I know that there are some people who are like, I don't have that kind of legacy. Like, there's no one in my family who is faithful to God. Yeah, but what I wanna tell you is that there are millions of people who are cheering you on and you may not know them, but they definitely know you today. And they're looking at you and they're saying, it is worth it. Keep going, keep pursuing, keep believing because God has something in store for you and don't get distracted and disrupted by the obstacles in this obstacle course of life because there's something greater waiting for you. Don't lose heart, don't give up, don't lose focus. Another truth I wanna pull out Another truth I want to pull out, my imperfections are covered by the blood of Jesus. So I have the power to live free and whole. What was the encouragement? Don't let wounds and sin take you out of the race. And here's why we don't have to let our wounds and our sin take us out. Because the blood of Jesus has paid for our sins. The blood of Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. And the blood of Jesus has purchased our wholeness. It has purchased our wholeness. But I don't always believe that. You know what we tend to believe? That we're a slave to our sin. And then when we come to God, we're like, I feel guilty because I did wrong by you. And God's looking at you not through the eyes of the law. He's looking at you through the eyes of grace. And grace says, your sins are forgiven, man. The blood, one drop of blood is enough for all of your sins to be forgiven for forever. But I think sometimes we misunderstand grace because grace means that all of your sins are forgiven permanently and completely. But that's not all it means. Grace also means that sin has no power over you anymore. You are forgiven, but you are also empowered to live the whole life that you were created to live. See, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are now instead, Paul says, a slave to grace, and if grace is running through my veins, and if I, even as imperfect as I am, am a product of my Father's deep, passionate affirmation and approval, then what that means is that I've got the ability through His grace to walk day in and day out as the man I was made to be. That, that my insurance against the trap of sin isn't that I'm gonna do a good job of avoiding sin. Because hello, that doesn't work. And if it did work, we wouldn't need the cross. But my insurance against sin is that I'm covered by grace. So even when temptation comes my way, I look at it and say, you ain't got no power here. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is marked on this body. The blood of Jesus is marked on this heart. The blood of Jesus is marked on this mind. I got grace, which means I'm forgiven. But I've got grace, which means I can walk free. 
And yes, sometimes freedom and wholeness is a process. That's why you keep coming to the well of grace and saying, Jesus, I need a little bit more today. I need some grace today. I'm still struggling today. And he's like, I'm so glad you came to me because I got more grace where that's, I got more grace where that's from. I got more grace. So don't take yourself out because the grace of God gives you what you need to be whole and to be free. Don't settle for the stupid traps. The grace of God will give you the power that you need in order to get through the obstacles, to get to the finish line. Second oh. Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace come to you in abundance so that you may at all times and in all ways and whatever the circumstances be, may have enough for every good work. Whew. Grace and abundance. Next, I gotta, I gotta hurry. Next truth. Thank you, man. I will, but I, I, but I wanna praise, so I gotta go. All right, we are running towards God's purposes, but the race finishes in heaven. The race finishes, the finish line is not in this world. The finish line is not in this world. In other words, God may not be working to make sure all your dreams come true. Because God's dream for your life doesn't end in this earth. And God's dream for your life is much better than what this earth can offer you. And so don't turn God into a product of your own selfishness. Because God's dream for your life is much greater than your own dream for your life. But it doesn't end here, it ends in heaven. The finish line isn't here. It's not the degree. It's not the marriage. It's not the success. The finish line is in heaven. And yes, God wants to give you good things in this life because he is a good father. But sometimes we're so focused on the good things we want that we miss out on the great thing that God's prepared for us. The finish line ends in heaven. And do you know what's gonna count in heaven? Guys, listen, your bank account will not go with you to heaven. There is no citizen's bank in heaven. Is, they do not, thank God, someone's been burned, all right? <laughs> They, they, they haven't put a branch there yet. They don't need to because the streets are made of gold. They'd be out of business in a moment. There's no, your bank account isn't in heaven. Your career is not in heaven. Your ministry is not in heaven. If our ministry is primarily about getting people saved, there ain't no need for that there. Your social media falling, not in heaven. Your YouTube views, not in heaven. But do you know what is there? There's only one thing you take with you. It's the people who met Jesus because of your life here on earth. That's the only thing you take with you. My dad always used to say growing up, it's so cheesy. He said, there's no U-Hauls behind a hearse. It's true. Facts. But the people that met Jesus because of your time here on earth, they will be there. I need that perspective. When you don't feel like showing up to serve on a Sunday, you need the perspective to remember that they are sons and daughters of the King who God has designed and preordained to come to your church this Sunday so that they may end up in heaven. So show up and serve. 
and have the attitude that says, I can't believe I get to be a part of this, right? And maybe we need to rethink our career and our values. And I know that we need to rethink our commitment to church. And I know church is messy and imperfect and Amplify is just as messy as an imperfect as, and imperfect because we are people and it will be. But I also know that this is the plan of God. This is the plan of God. The church is the plan of God so that an unbelieving, difficult generation would have their story interrupted by the goodness and grace of Jesus. And they would come and taste heaven on the earth. And as a result, they would lose their appetite for earthly things because they would be sold out on heaven's love and grace. And that matters. Another truth I wanna pull out. When my eyes are on Jesus, I'm unstoppable. Fixing my eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I can get to the top when I keep my eyes on Jesus. Next truth, it's not my faith, it's Jesus' faith that gives me the power to keep running. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, which I love because it means I didn't come up with faith and I can't perfect my faith. In other words, I need faith today to keep going for God's purposes, right? I need faith, but I don't have to come up with it myself because it's his faith and it's his promise. He's the author and he's the perfecter. So when I feel like my faith is low, I lift my eyes to Jesus and say, where I don't have faith, you have more than enough. Because when I stop believing in you, you don't stop believing in me. And the last truth, no, is this the last one? Maybe. I have joy now because I have infinite joy ahead of me. I have joy now because there is infinite joy ahead of me. Man, what's coming is better than what you could imagine. So the question is, does today count for that? Or does today only count for something much less? In Colossians chapter one, it says your faith and your love rise within you as you access all the treasures of your inheritance stored up in the heavenly realm. In other words, if you keep your eyes on heaven, you'll have faith and love for today. Another translation, and I love this, it says the lines of purpose in your lives never grow slack tightly tied as they are to your future in heaven, kept taught by hope. In other words, life today matters because my life today is tied to eternity. The finish line is there, the finish line ain't here, which means that today actually really matters. Today actually matters, but it doesn't matter because of the scope of my life today matters. It matters because in the scope of eternity today matters. I am. You know, when you, when you, um, you have an experience with the goodness of God, it becomes addictive. And if you're willing to let your heart go full throttle after it, you'll end up in a place where you know Jesus. And I am, I'm grateful because when I was in high school, um, I had a youth pastor, and, and you know, to be honest, a lot of the things we do here at church, like we did not have a cool youth group, right? It was, it was not cool. But the youth pastor knew the presence of God, and he, he was passionate about it. And, um, and I experienced the presence of God when I was in high school. And it stole my heart. And, and I, 
I knew that I, I would never want anything more than that. And so, you know, I've, I've had a couple decades since then of seeing the goodness of God and tasting the goodness of God. And my awareness of the goodness of God and his presence, it wasn't shaped by the good times. It was shaped when it felt like all hell was breaking loose and I had nowhere else to turn but to press into the goodness of God. And it's in those moments that I've actually gotten to know him. And you know, there have been a few times in life recently where I've said to God, I just wanna be home. I just wanna be with you. This is hard. And I can't, I can't wait to be with you. Not to deal with this stuff, you know. But every time I've prayed that, he always, he always reminds me of um, my little girl London, my little boy Zion, Katya and Danielle. And I hear him say, you know me, and I need you to stay there because they need to know me. And you're in their life to show them that this love is real. And then he shows me, you know, the people in our city, the people in our generation, the people in other cities, and he says, I want you to come home too. But they need to know what this is like. And you need to show them. And it makes the really hard things not seem so hard anymore. Because I got a purpose. And that purpose doesn't have much to do with this life. It has everything to do with heaven. What, I, what I've learned is that my kids don't see the evidence of God in my life when things are good. They see the evidence of God in my life when things are really bad and they see me decide not to give up anyway and to keep trusting God anyway and to keep believing God anyway and to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus anyway. And it is in those moments that heaven becomes a reality to them. And so it might be hard, but it is worth it. And it might not be easy, but heaven is worth it. And the, and the race might include obstacles and traps and woundedness, but the finish line is in heaven and it will be worth it. And so the question is, is today worth it? Is this moment worth it? Is what you're doing with your life worth it? Is it worth it? Or is it all about you? Or is it worth it? Nehemiah, worship team, you all can come up. <clears throat> Nehemiah um, stood in front of the, the people of God one day. This is in the Old Testament. And it was not a good day. Um, their nation and their city and their temple had been devastated 70 years earlier and they had been carted away into captivity 
And then the king eventually, after 70 years, let some of them come back and start to rebuild the city. And on this day, the people came to celebrate that the city had been finished. But it wasn't a very happy day because it was only a small reflection of what they had lost 70 years earlier. And they get up and they dusted off their Bibles, which they hadn't read for 70 years. And one of the priests got up and he read the word of God to them. And it says that they all started crying. It was not a good day because they realized that they had lived their lives out of sync with God's purposes. They were not happy. And Nehemiah realizes that what was meant to be a good day has turned out to be like not a good day at all. And Nehemiah gets up in front of them and he says, no, listen, listen, go and have a feast. Like eat some really good food today and have some good things to drink. And, and for those who don't have meals prepared, go knock on their door and give them a plate of leftovers from grandma's house. And then he said, because this day is holy to our Lord. In other words, it might not feel like a good day, but it is a holy day. It might not feel like things are going the way that you want them to, but in God's viewpoint, today matters. And that is true for you wherever you are today. Your shift at Starbucks matters. It is holy to the Lord. Your college exams, that moment matters. It is holy to the Lord. That job interview is holy to the Lord. Why? Because if it just is about your dream for your life, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But if it is a part of God's great purposes to establish the goodness of heaven and make it a reality in a broken world, then that day will be holy. And that shift at Starbucks is not about Starbucks, it's about heaven's purposes in your life. And that conversation with your daughter that is hard, where you are explaining the difficult things in life to her, it is holy to the Lord. It might feel like garbage doing it, but it is holy to the Lord. He said, this day is holy, so don't grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You'll have the strength you need to get through it because God's joy will be there with you. Why is the joy with you? Because this moment matters for eternity. And eternity is infinite joy. And so the priest came up and they said, be still, this is a holy day. Don't grieve, don't be sad. And so all the people went away to eat and drink and they sent leftovers to their friends' homes, and they celebrated with great joy. Why? Because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. They understood the promise. They understood the purposes of God. And while life often looks like a far cry from heaven, heaven is real, heaven is true, and heaven is waiting. So the choice is to celebrate today. I can celebrate my way through today because I have a perfect promise in front of me. All right, so as we get ready to worship, here's what we need to know. While we wait, while we wait for heaven, grace carries us. It will sustain you. It will get you through. It will give you the power that you need to get to the top of the rock formation. It will get you to the finish line. It's not your effort. It's his love for you. Grace carries us. Praise lightens us. God will give you 
what the Bible says, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, instead of a spirit of heaviness, and the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a crown of beauty instead of ashes. So if I feel particularly heavy today, what I need to do is not crawl into bed and turn on Netflix. What I need to do is go to war and praise God. And I need to start telling my soul, Christ is my firm foundation. He'll never let me down. He won't fail. He's faithful through generations. And there's gonna be glory after this. Praise will lighten me. His word will focus me on the promise and on what is yet to come. I might not see heaven today, but when I go to the Bible, when I go to the word, I'm reminded that there are people at the top of the rock formation and one day I'm gonna get there. Grace carries me, praise lightens me, his word focuses me and joy strengthens me. So I might feel weak, but I'm gonna celebrate. I might feel tired, but I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna praise and my praise will turn into joy. And as I look at Jesus, I'll have the strength that I need because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run our race with perseverance, throwing off the things that hinder us and the sin that so easily entangles us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who 